morning, everyone. Merry Christmas. We're still celebrating it. We got eight days to celebrate it. So we have, we're on day five now. Our brothers and sisters, as I mentioned at the beginning of Mass, we celebrate today the Feast of the Holy Family. That is of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. And we really look to them to be our model of what it means to be not just a family, but a holy family. What the vocation of every family is. But why are they holy? That's the question we're going to ask today. Why are they holy? What makes them holy? Probably when you hear the word holy, you think of somebody on their knees in total ecstasy praying, right? Or in the church all day. But what made them holy was not that they were praying all all the time in the temple, right? In the church. What made them holy, what set them apart, what made them different is the way that they viewed the way that they looked at life, the way they looked at marriage, the way they looked at family, the way they looked at their joys, their struggles. What is the lens by which they saw everything and how did they form their life? How did their daily actions manifest that they saw life differently than everyone else? We can often maybe be tempted to consider the Holy Family never experienced any suffering or distress, right? If you imagine, right, the Holy Family is like they're like in this little white little college cottage in, you know, the country of Nazareth. You got a white picket fence, right? Joseph comes in from working on some uh, things in his shop, right? Mary just made some sweet tea, pours in his glass, right? They're all smiling, right? The baby's just happy, right? Jesus is smiling too. But if we look to our gospel today, that's anything but true. Because we see that the Holy Family actually goes through a lot of trials, a lot of sufferings, a lot of struggles, right as it begins. Think for a second that Joseph has to take the whole family, right, Mary, to Bethlehem for the senses. Now, back in those days, you didn't just hop on a southwest flight and make your way to your destination. Right? Travel was tough. Travel was difficult. And so they have to travel all the way to Bethlehem. For the census that's going to be taken. And then as soon as they get there, they're not welcome to their own family, right? They have to be in a little barn. Mary has birth. Mary gives birth to Jesus. And then random strangers start visiting them, like these random shepherds, these magi. I don't know about you, but I've visited, you know, moms after the child is born. They're anything but, oh, here, just take them. No, just get out of the way. My baby. And so we see them going through all these difficulties. Then as soon as a child is born, boom, they got to get up and flee. Because literally the most powerful man on earth is chasing after their baby boy. The most powerful man on earth, King Herod, has all the power, has all the resources at his disposal to take this child out. It's King Herod, the most powerful man on earth, against a little carpenter named Joseph. And then where they have to flee to, do y'all remember that? They have to flee to Egypt. If you know your history, is Egypt the biggest fan of Israel? Say no. No, because for centuries they held them captive. This is not where you want to go if you're an Israelite, trust me. And so Joseph hears this from God. He rises, takes Mary and the child to Egypt. And then when they say, okay, Herod's died, let's go back. After some time, we don't know how long. They can't go back to their hometown because they're afraid. So they have to go and settle in a place they don't really know, called Nazareth. 
And so it wasn't that they were free or exempt from any trials or sufferings. But what set them apart is the way that they viewed all of it and the way they set their daily lives apart from everyone else. What made their daily lives different is the way they lived it out practically. They had one goal, my brothers and sisters, one goal. Do the will of God. That's what they determined to do. And that's the lens by which they saw their whole family life, their whole personal life, their whole marriage. Do the will of God. And that took practical implications in our life. I reminded of this quote by C.S. Lewis. This is what he says. He says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, the sun in the sky, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. The same must be true for each and every one of us if we want to be a holy family, if we want to be a family set apart, if we want to be a family that doesn't look like the rest of the world. And so today I want to go through three things that make a family holy, that sets us apart. It's the three P's I would call of family life. The first one, you can probably guess it, most foundational is prayer. Personal prayer, couple prayer, family prayer. If one of those is missing, we got to step up our game. we got to step up our prayer game. We saw in the life of Jesus that he took prayer so seriously. So seriously that there were times when people needed him to minister to them. You know what he did? He went off to a lonely place to pray. To be with his father. You see, the relationship with his father with his heavenly dad, is what fueled his whole ministry. He knew that was the one thing necessary. The same is true for couples and families. Prayer is the gas to the engine, the water to a dying plant, and air to lungs. Without it we die, with it we thrive. Prayer is essential. My brothers and sisters, a Christian marriage that does not pray a Christian family that does not pray is a contradiction. Let me repeat that. A Christian marriage that does not pray and a Christian family that does not pray is a contradiction. Why? Because it bears the very name of Christ. And if we're not staying connected through prayer with the one whose name we bear, how can we say, how can we bear that name? How can we bear the name of Christian marriage or a Christian family? I surveyed some couples, some moms and dads, husbands and wives, in preparation for this homily. One dad told me, he said, that when I pray and me and my wife pray, family prayer comes natural. But when that goes to the wayside, so does our families. And he said, it's kind of like being on an airplane, right? Those flight attendants tell you to do what when the oxygen masks come on, come down? Put yours on first, right? Because if you don't, you won't be able to help anyone else. Your sons, your wife, both of you will be gone, as he said. And so, take priority with your own personal prayer and with a prayer with your spouse. Everything will fall into prayer, uh, place. Let me ask you this. Is your home a house of prayer? Is it steeped and drenched in prayer? Do this? these words come out? Mom, Dad, can you pray for me? Oh. Honey, sweetheart, I'm going through this. Can you pray for me? And does that sentence get followed by, let's pray right now. 
That's what makes families different, makes them holy. So the first one is prayer. The second one is presence. Presence. Be present and be present. What do I mean? Spouses, spend time with one another without your children. Be intentional about it. Make sure that you have date nights, movie nights. There's a misconception, right, that the child is everything. But guess what? You did not make a vow to your children, but you did to your spouse. You did not make a vow to your children, but you made a vow to your spouse. Grandparents, same thing. You did not make a vow to your grandchildren, but you did to your spouse. Spend time. I don't care if you've been married for one year or 60 years, please flirt with one another. There's something beautiful about an old couple who still flirts with one another, who still kindles that flame of love that they had when they first got married. Be present. But also, I would say, be present. What do I mean by that? Listen. Have attention to them. Give them attention. Give your spouse attention. Talk about substantial things. Talk about your relationship with Jesus Christ with one another. If a Christian marriage does not have talk about your relationship with Jesus Christ, something is missing. Something essential. Parents, speak to your children about your relationship with Christ. And ask them about their relationship with Jesus Christ. Surveying some families, one wife said to mother, she said, what reminds, what comes to mind is James 1.19. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. She said, there's a beauty and a happiness in family when reaction is not the vice we nurture, but listening is the virtue we cultivate. Beautiful. I ate, family, I ate lunch with a family yesterday. One mom, one grandma, one spouse, she said, the worst thing than being lonely is knowing or being unloved. And a part of being loved is being just present at everything. If your job is taking you away from your family, it's time to reconsider. Be present and be present to one another. My brothers and sisters, the last one is be practical. Be practical. Let your daily manifestations come alive in your life. So the first question I have, if someone walks into your home, will they know that you're a Christian? Do you have a crucifix in a prominent place in your home? If not, why not? The cross, my brothers and sisters, is the very radical sign of God's love for us. It's the reason we take on the name Christian, because God became man and died for us. We should be proud. St. Paul says, I preach one thing, and that is Jesus Christ crucified. Why don't we have a crucifix in a prominent place in our home so we're always reminded of God's love for us? Or is it taken up by a random piece of abstract art because it fits in with everything else? If the cross doesn't fit in with the decor, even better. It stands out. It stands out as a sign of God's love. Second is, do you have pictures of a saint or saints in your home? The saints, my brothers and sisters, are our heroes. They're the models of holiness for our lives. They're the ones who made it. Think about every guy who has a man cave. He probably has pictures of his favorite sports heroes or culture heroes. Why? Because he wants to be like them. The saints 
should be present in our home because we want to be like them. Do you remember your confirmation saint? Do you have a picture of him or her in your office, in your home, in your bedroom? They're your model of holiness. So if somebody walks into your home and they say, this person is a disciple, or they say Christianity is just their hobby. My brothers and sisters, how many of us know our baptismal birthday? When were you baptized? That's the day you became a Christian. We should celebrate that day. We should celebrate our baptismal birthdays. Put it in your calendar. Celebrate your baptism. Celebrate your children's baptism. Celebrate your grandchildren's baptism. Celebrate your godchildren's baptisms. I hope that this week our phones blow up because all of you are calling asking for your baptismal birthday. I'll be more than happy myself to go look in the registries. Call the parish where you're baptized and find out your, birth, your baptismal birthday and celebrate it. It's the day Christ claimed you for himself. It is the greatest day of your life. You should celebrate it. Last but not least, go to confession as a couple and a family. There's nothing more beautiful than as a couple or a family saying, hey, y'all, we're all sinners together, but we're all striving to be holy and saints. There's something beautiful about that. So what set the fa holy family apart it's how they viewed life and how every day was just drenched in making sure that they did the one thing they wanted to do, and that was to do the will of God. Their home, their relationships were drenched in practical things. Prayer, being present, and being practical. I'll leave you with this beautiful quote from Father Joseph Ratzinger. Father Joseph Ratzinger later became Pope Benedict XVI. But when he was just a young priest, he wrote this about the future of the church. But I think you can take the word church and put in family, and it is so beautiful. So I leave you with his words. He says, the future of the family, once again, as always, will re be reshaped not by good men and women, but by saints. By men and women, that is, whose minds probe deeper than just the slogans of the day. Who see more than what everyone else sees. Because their lives embrace a wider reality. Unselfishness, which makes men free, is attained only through the patience of small, daily acts of self-denial. By this daily passion, this daily taking up of one's cross, which alone reveals to a man in how many ways he's enslaved by his own ego. By this daily passion, by this daily taking up the cross, and by it alone, a man's eyes are slowly opened, open to see the presence of God. Open your eyes, my brothers and sisters, and see the beauty, the joy, that comes when you don't just strive to be a family, but when you strive to be a holy family.